Welcome to another spectacular word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, today we're going to be opening up the Word of God in just a moment, and we're going to be talking today about hubris and hope. What in the world? Well, hubris comes from an ancient Greek word, okay? And uh, some of you may or may not be familiar with it, but it basically means to possess a great or foolish amount of pride. Can you imagine having a foolish amount of pride? Or to exhibit excessively dangerous overconfidence. Uh, have you ever known someone that possessed, uh, you know, a little dangerous overconfidence? <laughs> or perhaps, um, you know, a great or a foolish amount of self-worth or self-pride? It's an overestimation, some would say, of one's own competence, one's own capabilities. And some even imagine that it causes people to lose contact with reality and to imagine, you know, to have delusions, as it were, of grandeur, perhaps, about their own lives and capabilities or their own competence or their own importance. Based on the ancient Greek, hubris is always seen as a negative. However, I believe at times God grants some extreme confidence some exaggerated capabilities you know i believe uh, for example if we looked at the life of samson in the old testament uh, one of the judges who was able to do extraordinary feats of strength and ended up with a great confidence that he was able to go up against insurmountable odds and yet defeat them because the hand of the lord was with him and you know, uh, at times, I know that God grants extreme confidence and capabilities. But it seems that God grants those things to those who are humble in spirit and to those who put their trust in Him. At other times, I think perhaps people just own an exaggerated sense of self-worth and competence and capabilities. A foolish amount of pride, as it were. God gives it to some. And some just take it for themselves. There's a case in the Word of God concerning a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar reigned in Babylon about 600 years before Christ. Babylon, uh, now uh, in Iraq, uh, the, the, the modern country of Iraq, King Nebuchadnezzar ruled in his kingdom pretty much all of the known world at one time or another. And uh, yet, you know, he is rather a picture, as we look back in history, even in the Word of God, a picture of a godless conqueror. It appears as though that he did everything he did without any submission or recognition to Almighty God. Many others throughout history have been compared to King Nebuchadnezzar, men with such hubris as Alexander the Great, who even thought himself to be a god. Genghis Khan, King Herod, Napoleon Bonaparte, and even Adolf Hitler, men who believed or acted as though that they were greater than God or equal to God or smarter than God, but certainly not subject to him and his dictates. 
Men who believed they ruled by their own might, by their own power, by their own wisdom. Men who falsely imagined themselves untouchable, foolishly overconfident. Now I know that some of you are thinking, well, you know, how does this apply to me? Well, today we're going to juxtapose, we're going to set on two different sides this confidence which comes from the Lord and the confidence which may be counted a little foolish. Today we're going to look at our lives in light of what God wants us to do. And using King Nebuchadnezzar as an example of what we do not want to do. And I know that perhaps sitting among us, there may not be, or, or, or watching, there may not be many world leaders, but perhaps you are the leader of your world. Perhaps in some way you are responsible for others who follow you, you are responsible to provide, protect, defend, care for someone else. In fact, God has made us stewards of one another, even in our communities, especially in our families. And sometimes people live life as though they do not need God. Sometimes people make decisions that they have never checked with the almighty creator of the universe to see whether he would be pleased with that decision or not. Sometimes we say things. Sometimes we think things. Sometimes we feel things as though that by our own wisdom or by our own might we are able to make something happen. Let me tell you, we all, in the end, will realize just how much we need God. Such was the case with King Nebuchadnezzar. As I said, he is considered to be a godless conqueror. What does that mean? That means that he was successful in every attempt. And he, was, you know, he, he, he worked hard and, and he planned hard and, and he uh, you know, seemed to be very wise. And people revered him and he was able to accomplish so much and rule the whole known world. Yet, the account of King Nebuchadnezzar is one of hubris and also one of hope. There was none to match his earthly reign in glory. However, the prophet Daniel records King Nebuchadnezzar and records a problem that the king had. And what the king did not realize is that God was watching. God is involved and God governs in the affairs of men. God governs our lives, and God is watching us, has always been watching us. It's not God's desire to judge and condemn or to, 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 to somehow hurt us or correct us. It's God's desire to bless us. But at times we all fall into a place where a little correction goes a long way. Such was the case with King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel, the fourth chapter, reading from the New Living Translation, Daniel records the words of King Nebuchadnezzar as King Nebuchadnezzar reveals his own heart. Verse 30, as the king looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. A little full of himself, wasn't he? Verse 31, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you, 
You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. Wow. Now, hubris can be both powerful and dangerous. Powerful in the lives of those who are humble. Confidence can be very powerful. Confidence and, 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 and you know, capability and certainty and, and, you know, uh, can be very powerful in the hands of someone who is humble before God, someone who lives their lives in God's hands. Like Moses, for example. The Bible says there was no meeker man on the face of the earth, no man that was more humble than Moses. And yet Moses led you know, a, a million people out of bondage. And, and, and you know, they, they were in bondage to Pharaoh. And he, by his, by his acts, you know, made Pharaoh let the people go. Moses parted the Red Sea so that the people could go across on dry ground. You know, he, he, he took people out into a wilderness with great confidence that God would provide every day bread from heaven and water from a rock. I mean, uh, this, this guy was confident, but his confidence came from God, unlike the confidence which comes to families and friends when the prideful hands of mortal man lift themselves up without recognition to God. The Bible plainly explains that God sets up one and brings down another. And even the Apostle Paul says there is no power, no authority in the earth, but that which God allows. God governs in the affairs of men, if I may quote Benjamin Franklin. And as the prophet Zephaniah foretold, God is determined God has a course, he has a strategy, that God is going to orchestrate all things according to his own will, and he is determined to gather together the nations one day, that he might pour out the wrath of his indignation upon them. And God is setting up leadership and allowing leadership all over the world to play into his plan. I would trust, however, that you and your family, your community, your friends, your nation, those whom you are responsible for, would not fall one day on the side of the enemies of God. King Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. He thought he had done everything. He thought he'd accomplished. He thought he had, he had you know, built his kingdom and built his palace all by himself. He thought through his own wisdom, through his own might. You know, sometimes perhaps we can look at what we have and look, look what my hands have gotten me. Look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look, I've succeeded. Look at me. Look how much money I made. Look at the car I have. Look, what, you know, look at all the things my hands have gotten me. Well, when God finally heard that for the last time he wanted to hear it from heaven, without any recognition that God had a plan and that God was preserving men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, preserving a people under King Nebuchadnezzar. Without him giving God the credit, if we continue to read the full account, we would find that that day the kingdom was stripped from this king and he went insane. He lost his mind. Wouldn't that be terrible just to all of a sudden lose your sanity? You might not even, it, it might have already happened. <laughs> you know, how do you know if you have dementia? Don't you remember things like they used to be? This could be it. No, <laughs> no. 
Wouldn't it be terrible just to go insane? Well, this king went insane. He lost his mind. He lost consciousness with, 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 with reality, which I submit to you, he was already at a lack of consciousness about reality, about God's reality, and about all that God had done in his life for a reason that he was even unaware of. And this king uh, went out, and for seven years he lived like an animal. You can read the story in Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. He grew long hair, the Bible says, like eagle's feathers, and his nails grew out like bird's claws. And after seven years of wandering around in the wilderness and eating grass and eating, eating stuff that the animals eat, living like an animal and no one having anything to do with him, Something happened to him. After seven years, the king came to his senses. And look at what the king says, Daniel 4, verse 34. And at the end of that time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever, forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Wow. All of a sudden, after seven years, which speaks to us of a fullness of time, of a full cycle of time, of God having dealt with this man's heart, having dealt with this man's mind, all of a sudden, whatever had been going on in his mind and in his heart and in his life, he came to his senses, and the first thing he did is he lifted his eyes to God. What was he doing? He was saying, you know, I couldn't do anything about my situation whenever I was a king. I didn't know it then. But now I realize that I am at the mercy of God. I live, I breathe at the mercy of God. For God has dominion over everything. He lifted his eyes and he recognized that Almighty God governs in the affairs of men. And nothing that we have, nothing that we accomplish, nothing that we do, nothing that we feel is less than what God has allowed and given us. For God's purposes and not for our own. God was using Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar realized it. He lifted his eyes to heaven. Let me tell you, if you have been in a difficult place, if you've been in a, in a dark place, perhaps you were somewhere at one point, and now you feel like you're slipping back. Maybe you feel like you have been drawn back into a hole. The, 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 the truth is you never could have gotten yourself what you had, and you can't get it back. But God can. If we continue to read the story, we not only find the danger of hubris and what it did, this foolish confidence in myself, this foolish confidence in my abilities. After having lost everything, this man lifted his eyes to God. This man recognized God worshiped him honored him and gave god the respect that god deserved and god restored him that day god had the leaders of the nation search him out and find him and put him back on the throne and he handled the problems and he became a greater king 
after his experience of finding out who God really is than he ever was in his own abilities. More honor and more power and more glory than he ever had before. Wow. And all he did, all it cost him, was simply recognizing what God wants from me. That I need to do it God's way. I need to let God be in charge. I don't need to, to believe that I'm so smart, I'm so powerful, I'm so capable that I can do it myself. I need to depend on Him. Well, the Bible doesn't give us the whole story. The Bible does not tell us about what happened to the citizens of that nation, to you know the business people of that kingdom during those seven years. I think they probably had a pretty tough time as well. You know, it's not just the leader of a nation that we realize went through a tough time. It was also the people, because at the end of that seven years, these people were looking for Nebuchadnezzar because they too realize that he has what we need. It's God that lifts up one and sets down another, the Bible says. It can take years to recover from the prideful power of a godless conqueror over a nation. Nations suffer at the hands of leaders who believe that they are the answer instead of God being the answer. We don't know what happened and how many years it took them to recover. However, we do know that God gave them hope. And he also gave them a leader who respected him and had devotion to him. You see, all it takes is just doing things like God wants them done. This story of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, teaches us several truths about God and how he governs in the affairs of men. We learn, uh, number one, that God is kind and just and patient. He's a kind and, and, and just and patient God. God really is. He had been kind and he had been patient. He had been just. He had been good to the kingdom and good to Nebuchadnezzar and good to Babylon. Even when they were going through difficult times, God was still blessing them. God was very patient. A second thing we learn is that God loves and includes even the godless in his plans. Do you know that God loves the godless? Do you know that God loves the sinner? God loves the person that's wrong. God loves the person that's making mistakes. God loves the person who is godless right now. God does not hate mankind. He loves. He loves even those people who are wrong and even those people who are causing trouble. God has a plan for every person if they will just recognize him, accept him, and turn and do things his way. God loves us even when we are in sin. We learn as well that pride goes before a fall. That one of the things that men and women must surrender if they are going to come to God is their pride. Pride is foolishness. God already knows what you're going through. God already knows the remedy. And God knows that he could help you and fix it quicker than you could on your own, better than you could on your own. And pride is an empty, foolish life. One of the first things that King Nebuchadnezzar did to break his pride was lift up his eyes to God and begin to worship God as God was the answer. 
That's not necessarily easy for men to do, especially men who hold a position of prominence in a community, especially men who, who think themselves strong and tough and, and capable and wise and competent, a protector, a defender, but yet we realize we are nothing without God. Pride goes before a fall, as it did with King Nebuchadnezzar. And a fourth thing we learn is that there is always something we can do to please God. Always something. No matter where we are in life, there's always something we can do to please God. God gives us a warning. God gives us instruction, just like he gave to King Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him a dream. He sent him a prophet. God gave him warning. God gave him instruction. God gave him warning and instruction way before he ended up losing his mind. God always, however, gives us a way back. Not only did God give him warning and instruction, God gave him and the nation hope. Because God is not over until it fits his will. If it's bad, it's not over with God. Don't think it's over because somebody else says it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. It's with this thought in mind that we're going to turn to our text for today. I bet you thought that was our text. No. It's with this thought, that was a prelude. It's with that thought in mind we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6. Just like God first used a dream and then used prophet Daniel to warn the king, God has also not left us without instructions on how we can live a godly life pleasing to him. How we at times perhaps need to start thinking a little bit less of ourselves, a little more of God. And maybe we need to start doing things God's way before we realize that God all of a sudden now is needing to correct us instead of just instruct us. You know, I, I don't ever want to see the hand of God's correction. I had much rather see his instruction. But I am told through the scriptures that he corrects every child that he loves. And it's a loving correction, just like with Nebuchadnezzar. It was intended that Nebuchadnezzar change. God was hoping that Nebuchadnezzar would repent and change and give his life over into God's hands and do it God's way. That's God's only adventure in our lives. Wouldn't it be great if Nebuchadnezzar had just listened to Daniel, had just listened to the dream? Wouldn't it have been great if the dream and the prophet would have been enough? And he would not have had to have gone through that seven years and the nation wouldn't have had gone through seven years. Wouldn't it be great if we could just let the word of God, just let the words of Jesus Christ be enough and maybe we wouldn't have to go through problems or our families or communities uh, wouldn't have to suffer uh, through, through, through a, a moment of correction because ultimately every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is going to happen, okay? That is. It could happen today if you were wise and smart and sharp and, and willing. It could happen today. But just because it does not happen today, don't think for one moment that your knee is not going to bow to Jesus and agree with him at some point. You will. Why not today? And you may have moved yourself into a place where what you thought you could do you found out you couldn't and you may be more in need of God's help today than you have ever been before good news there's something we can do 
there's a way that we can lift our eyes up to heaven, that we can acknowledge God, His Word, and His will in our lives. There's something we can do today. And in Luke chapter 6, we read the words of Jesus. I'm just going to give you just four very brief things. Two things that are positive and two things that are negative. Two you know, in the instructions of Jesus come both in, in what not to do and what to do. Both of these are, are, are important. There are some things, if we want to correct our lives or protect our lives, there are two things we need to do. Uh, and and, and uh, there, there are two things important. We need to know the things not to do, and then we need to know the things we ought to do. We need to know from Him. How to please him. So let's begin. Verse 37. We'll just jump right into it. We're only going to read two verses for our text. Verse 37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your lap. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Let's take a closer look here at the instructions that Jesus gave us. Okay. As I said, there are two negative reactions that we're told to avoid. And, and, and then Jesus shares two positive admonitions that we are instructed to actively pursue. Number one, you know, uh, he said it this way, judge not and you'll not be judged. Uh, let, let me put it in, in real words for you, okay? Number one, do not act like you are God. King Nebuchadnezzar had that, you know. Do not act like you are God. <laughs> well, you know, if we don't acknowledge God, if we don't call upon God, if we don't, uh, you know, acknowledge who He is, then we are capable of acting like Him and imagining we can do it ourselves. And one of the things that is relegated to God is judgment. Judgment belongs to God. I'm talking about judgment of other people, okay? Uh, only God can judge another person. The Bible says in Romans, the second chapter, that you are without excuse, whoever you are that judges another person, because it is before God that a person is judged. Jesus said, I don't even judge anyone. You know, judgment. Only God knows if and when it is time to judge someone. And God can take care of that, I promise you. I promise you, when it comes time for somebody to be judged, God can take care of it, okay? And all of your judgment on others will mean nothing. Judging someone by how they look or by how they talk or by what age or stage or station of life that you assume them to be in. Judging someone else because of their actions or because of their attitudes. You know, judgment. The judgment that I'm talking about here, the judgment that Jesus is talking about, is the judgment that we do in our hearts and minds. It's the thoughts that we cultivate about other people. It's the thoughts that, that, that we manufacture or that we buy into or that we hold, embrace, or that we pick up from others. It's how we think and how we feel in our own lives about others. Judgment, you know, judging others. You know, you, you, you walk into the mall and you look around and you think, well, this one is and this one isn't. And of course, I am. The judgment is always measured up against ourselves, isn't it? 
We always judge people against ourselves. Of course, we judge ourselves by our intent. We judge other people by what they do. But we know we didn't mean anything bad or evil, so we don't judge. You know, we're a little bit easy on ourselves. Okay? But it's important that we don't decide that we know what other people deserve. Have you ever said to yourself, well, those people deserve to go to hell, or those people deserve to go to jail, or those people don't deserve this, or those people, you know, da 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 okay. Listen, you're getting into a little dangerous territory there because this is what Jesus said. Watch out because, you know, you're going to reap what you sow. But if you won't, uh, you know, judge, judge not that you be not judged. I love that there's a little hedge of protection around me whenever I am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not so judgmental. That's a pretty good deal, huh? I kind of like that. And these are the words of Jesus. Now, I can just do whatever I want, whatever I think is best, because after all, I am wiser than God. After all, I do know more than he does. And after all, I would do it different if I was God. And therefore, I'm able, I'm, I'm, I'm capable. And, you know, um, who says I can't think what I want to think about you? Well, God does. I should leave judgment to him. I should not foster those things. And when the temptation comes across my mind, and when those thoughts come across, I'm supposed to be casting those things down. I'm not supposed to be fertilizing them. I'm not supposed to be, you know, running to my friend and, and you know, making this, you know, uh, water this thought, would you? Oh, this is good stuff. Where else can you go and get stuff like this? Okay. He simply says, judge not and you'll not be judged. Uh, Number two, do not condemn others. Now, listen to me. The difference between judgment and condemnation, okay? Um, judgment is what we think and we feel about others because we've made some decision about them. Condemnation is our attempt to get other people to feel the way we feel about them. It's our attempt to get them to feel the way we feel about them. I'll condemn you. <laughs> I'm going to condemn you. I just want you to know, I'm going to shame you and I'm going to condemn you, okay? And I want everybody else to know that you should be condemned. I want you condemned. I want you publicly judged, not just judged in my head. I want to now bring it into condemnation. I want you publicly judged. I want to tell my friends about you so that you are condemned by them. You know, not only have I judged you, I'm going to sentence you to public condemnation. Oh, wow, who would ever be like that? Nobody would ever be that way. I know. No one on church online, no, never. Jesus, you've already read this and you're doing it, right? Uh, you know, while judging others is something we may do in our own heart and mind, condemning others is an act that we perpetrate against others because we have judged them worthy of public condemnation. God is never pleased with our efforts to hurt other people. God is never pleased with the evil things we say, the judgmental and critical things we say about others. God is never pleased with us tearing others down. God's not happy with that. Jesus said so here. Don't condemn people. 
Well, those were the two things not to do. Let's don't judge. Let's cast down those imaginations. And my goodness, let's not, you know, uh, try to get other people on board with our judgment so that we end up, you know, uh, 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 just condemning people that God, you know, uh, may feel different about. A third thing. Jesus said in the positive, forgive. Oh, my goodness. We know forgive is an active pursuit. Forgiveness says nothing, by the way, about the person who is being forgiven. It says everything about the person who is forgiving. When we forgive someone, it is the measure of God in us, not the measure of God in the other person. Your forgiveness of, the, of, of a person who has hurt you, listen, if somebody hurts you, your forgiveness of that person does not let them off the hook with God. I've heard people say, I don't want to forgive them. They need to change. Well, changing is God's business. Okay? You forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's a pretty good deal. If you do forgive, it's in the positive. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Listen, you know, uh, forgiveness is a pretty good insurance policy. I want to be forgiven one day. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, buddy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive everybody in town. Why? Because I need a lot. I need a lot of forgiveness. And so I'm going to forgive everybody in my world. I'm going to give them over to God. It doesn't mean I'm letting them off the hook with God. It just means I'm turning them over to God. I'm letting myself off the hook so that I'm not going to continue to be judgmental and, con and, 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 and condemning. I don't want to judge and I don't want to condemn. I want to forgive so that God will treat me the same way. And if you expect to ever need God's forgiveness, you need to forgive other people now. Forgive people who have hurt you and persecuted you, people who are doing you wrong, people who you know, don't like you. Forgive them. Like I say, it, it lets you off the hook with God. It doesn't let them off the hook. And a fourth thing. The fourth thing is also something that we're supposed to actively pursue. He said, give, and it will be given unto you. There is a giving that God wants us to actively pursue. Forgiveness sets us free. Giving sets others free. Forgiveness sets us free. It takes the weight and the burden off of my shoulders when I forgive. It, it, it cleans my heart when I forgive. It, it helps me. It encourages me. It puts a light back in my life when I forgive. But when I give, it helps put a light in someone else's life. It helps take the burden off their shoulders. Giving is God working through you for others. Forgiving is God working through you for you. Giving is how God works through you to set other people free. It's always been the way of God. Jesus encourages us to participate with him in his kingdom efforts that are aimed at others. It's always about others. More is said in the Bible, by the way, about giving. More is said in the Bible about giving than about heaven and hell combined. Isn't that amazing? 
Why? Because God is doing his best to get his children to lift their eyes to him and realize that God governs in the affairs of man. And we need not be judgmental. We need not to try to get other people to publicly condemn the people that we have judged unworthy of God's blessing. We need to forgive because it sets us free, and we need to give because it helps God set others free. What a selfish life it would be if we were born, lived, and died, and never did anything for anyone else. That life was only about us and ours, only about what we could get. What a horrible thing it would be. You see, God has chosen to advance His kingdom through His plans. And His plan has included tithes and offerings. That's the way God reaches the world and takes the burden off of their shoulders. You can be a Christian and not go to church. But... It is the church that ensures that the next generation will experience Christianity. It's the church that God has chosen as his vehicle to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hurting and a lost world, to feed the multitudes, to reach others with the gospel and the goodness of Christ, to set others free. It's the light shining in a dark world. It has been since day one in Jerusalem when God gave the Holy Spirit to those gathered in the upper room. It has been His goal to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And that is done through the participation. You can read it, you know, from, from you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and you know, uh, the Corinthians, and, and the epistles. It's the way God finances His kingdom. It's important. Because without giving, what are you doing for others? It's not just a giving of your money. It's a giving of your time. It's a giving of your service to God. It can be going next door to a neighbor that you know is having a difficult time mowing someone's yard, sharing someone's hurt and pain. It can be praying for others. There is a giving of our time, a giving of our talent, and a giving of our treasury that Jesus expects us to participate in. Giving is nothing less than a partnership with God. Proverbs 19.7 says that when a person meets the needs of someone who is in need, that it's like lending to the Lord. The Bible says whenever you give to the poor, it's equal to lending to the Lord. And the Bible says that God will remember and He will repay. That's why there's a promise attached to each one of these. Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. You know, uh, forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall God 
cause others to lay in your lap. Why? Because he knows what you did with what you had is what you'll do with more. Giving is partnership with God. Giving to the Lord is the very best investment. You know, giving... Let me put it this way. God is willing to give to you in direct proportion to what He can give through you. Now that includes time, includes talent, and includes treasury. God is willing to give to you what He knows He can trust you with in direct proportion to what He is able to give through you. That's always been His plan. And lest you not... Remember, God is a you-first kind of God when it comes to giving. You first. You know, you first. What is that? Well, that is, you know, God's plan is, 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 is sowing before reaping. The Bible does not say, you shall uh, sow what you reap. It says, you shall reap what you sow. It's a you-first if you are in need of more patience, if you are in need of more kindness, if you're in need of more mercy, if you're in need of more of the fruits of the Spirit, why not sowing, sow some in someone else's life? If you're in need of someone listening to you and praying for you, sow a little patient prayer first. Maybe the first thing you don't want to do Whenever your best friend sits down with you and start telling them all about your problems, maybe you could find out what's going on in their life and then offer them some prayer. And then after that, maybe they'll ask you, well, what's happening in your life? Sowing and reaping. God gives us warnings and instructions so that we might check ourselves, challenge ourselves, and change ourselves where needed. Let me encourage you to do this today. Check yourself. You know, forgive. You know, give. Don't be judgmental. Don't carry around in your mind, in your heart, you know, critical judgments that you have made that God may not be ready. It may not be the time that God wants to judge. And for goodness sake, don't try to get other people to buy into your condemnation of others. Let's lift our eyes to heaven right now and let's, let's do what King Nebuchadnezzar did. It worked for him. Hopefully we won't have to wait seven years before giving God honor and glory. Let's lift our hearts and eyes to him right now and let's ask him to forgive us. Amen. All right, let's do that right now. Father, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we lift up our heart and our minds to you, God. And Lord, we recognize that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. God, come into our heart, Lord. Send Jesus, Lord. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. And, and come into our heart, Lord Jesus. Be our Lord. Be our Savior. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, and help us to not be judgmental in our own minds and hearts, Lord. Not be critical, Lord, and condemning of others, Lord, and not, not wanting, Lord, to hold some public forum, Lord, in efforts to hurt someone individually, Lord. And God, we pray as well, Lord, that you would help us to remember to forgive and to be giving. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and thank you for it.
Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hemmons. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.